Our preacher this morning is Dr. John Jackson. John preached for us uh, last summer in July, one Sunday. You may or may not remember that. I'll give you a little background on John. He's from Memphis, Tennessee, and he went to Union University. We met there, and we have been friends for 33 years now. We met when we were two, obviously. Uh, They're not in a good mood this morning, obviously, so... Tech One and LSU didn't do anything, so you ought to be happy this morning, correct? Let's pass the plate and go home. I'm glad glad you're preaching this morning, brother. John and I met in college at Union University. He graduated from Union, and uh, then we went to Southwestern Seminary, where we were in seminary, graduate school together. Then John got his doctor's degree from Luther Rice University uh, in Florida, John and I and Clayton were all in the same fraternity. Clayton was my big brother in the fraternity. Then I was John's big brother, so John is technically Clayton's grandson, fraternity-wise. That's what's wrong with me and John is the Clayton influence back there from younger years. John has four beautiful daughters. He pastored churches in Tennessee and in Texas and Ohio. And I want to tell you a real quick story about the the first revival I hosted as a pastor In my first church, the church on Sunday mornings, we'd have about 23 or 24, and everybody came back on Sunday night, plus one. There was one man who was sick and couldn't come on Sunday morning because he had a lung problem, so we would have 23 on Sunday morning and 24 on Sunday night. We had a revival. We started on Wednesday night, went Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, morning, Sunday night, and uh, Wednesday through Saturday, we had 60 people in that little church. I mean, it was packed overflowing with people, and we did not have one decision during this, th- those days. I mean, a cricket didn't come forward during the invitation, nothing. that Nobody went to the bathroom in the invitation. We had a great revival, but there, was, there seemed to be no movement of God, and on Sunday morning, we had our 23 back, and Sunday morning, we had six people saved. And then Sunday night, we had a person saved. So basically, we had a third of the church saved uh, on Sunday. So we're hoping this morning that'll be about 300 people will be saved today for a third of our worship attendance. But it was a great revival, wasn't it, John? I still remember that from many years ago. Please give my friend John a hand as he comes to speak to us. Mic up there, buddy. Let me, yes. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. It's great to be with you, be back with you. Uh, I don't know. Chris said, if you remember when I was here last summer, I don't remember what I talked about, so I doubt you remember, but it's great to be back with you again. And uh, great crowd, great to see you guys today on a holiday weekend. And uh, I look forward to uh, sharing God's word with you. It's an honor to be here. Chris shared a story about me. I told the first crowd, it's only fair I'm going to share a story about him. But I'm not going to do it because I want him to be your pastor after this weekend, so... We go way back. We, we, we probably have a death silence over each other because anything I tell on him, he'd have to to tell on me. But anyway, it's great to uh, be with a friend and uh, Chris. And uh, it's an awesome thing that we've been able to journey in separate lives and through 30 year, 33 years keep all that together and maintain a great friendship. So I'm uh, thrilled to be a part of this with you all this weekend and so very grateful for the way that you love and follow him as your pastor. I, I already spoke with the first crowd, and I told him as they walked out, it's just so obvious for me to see how you guys love him and appreciate his leadership as your pastor. And having been a pastor for over 30 years in my life, I know what a, a great gift that is to have a congregation that loves you. So I appreciate you, you guys doing that. I want to pray, and then we're going to dive in, and I want to talk to you about something that's very, very basic, 
very simple today, but if we miss it, everything else gets off course. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the joy to be here this morning. Um, It is such a gift. We live in a land of freedom and we can come to church any weekend. And so sometimes we may take this for granted, but the gift that we have to be here to lift up our voices in song, to celebrate the powerful truths of a risen savior that has redeemed our lives and to worship you today, to put you in the first place of our lives. I pray today that as we turn our hearts, our focus, our thoughts to the word of God and its timeless truths in our lives that you will speak to us today. Father, there are people I am sure in this room today who've never had a personal experience in their lives with you. They may have grown up in church. This may be their first time here. But they've never had a personal encounter with you. I pray today that your love will draw them to yourself. Some of us have walked with you for years in our lives. Some of us for decades. But I pray that as we contemplate these truths of Scripture today, you'll speak to our hearts as well and draw us even closer. It is our desire right now, Spirit of God, that you would come and just have your way in our hearts. And I pray this to honor Christ. Amen. I want to talk to you today about who is Jesus? Now, we're in church, right? Is that not the most obvious thing? He's what everything's about. He's our hero. He's the story. It's, it's all about Jesus, right? But the reality is sometimes we have put cultural adaptations on that and we miss it. I heard about a great guy. Any guy who would do this, I consider a great guy. A, a guy volunteered to go into the l- young boys uh, Bible class and to work with those boys. And he, he went in and was just a great inspiration to them. But he'd try to always give something to them that would help them to process and understand God in their life. And so he worked up an illustration one morning to begin his teaching. And he said, boys, I want to ask you a question. What is fluffy and has a big uh, fluffy tail, runs and scurries up trees and loves nuts? One little boy lifted his hand. He said, sounds like a squirrel to me, but I know the answer is Jesus. Because it's always Jesus when we're at church, right? Everything's about Jesus. But in all seriousness, gang, what I want to talk to you about today is the fact that I went to church nine months before I was in this world. I've been in church my whole life. I am so grateful for my heritage, for people who had great intentions in their hearts to teach me what God's love was all about, to point me quickly to a cross and its redemption for my life, the forgiveness of my sin. I'm grateful for all of that. But as I've lived life, as I've studied God's word, as I have practically ministered as a spiritual leader in churches, what I've realized is along the way, with great intentions, we have picked up bits and pieces of culture and tradition that we have, kind of like a Lego thing, we've stuck on Jesus that have made images of Jesus to us that are not real. How many of you guys have watched that, these things that they do on TV or on social media where they do the man on the street and they go out and stick the microphone in somebody's face and ask them something, and if it wasn't so sad, it, it'd be funny, right? Like, who won the Civil War? France? And stuff like that. You go, oh my gosh, this is our country. And people don't uh, think about these kinds of things. What would it be like if somebody walked through our congregation and held out a mic and said, who is Jesus? What would be your answer? 
Well, certainly some of the big things would be he's God's son. He's our savior and things like that. But as we look deeper into that, who is really the person of Jesus Christ? My beautiful, sweet niece married about two years ago. And she married a guy, he, he's, a, he's a brilliant young man. And uh, he went into medicine, but as he got into medicine, he kind of specialized and he does something that I don't even know what they call it. I mean, it's, he's told me one time and it's one of these long, crazy words, but let me tell you what he does. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, I got bad news, you've got cancer. And so what we're gonna do is some chemotherapy and surgery and treatment and we're gonna fight like crazy to save your life What my uh, niece's husband does is he's the one, the doctor sends all the tests, the lab results, everything to, and he determines to the precision of the tiniest degree what dosage and amounts of chemotherapy and how it's going to be applied. And that's a pretty important thing, right? Your life's on the line. Is that something where you'd say, well, you know, at least if, if they get it close, right? I don't know about you, but if they're putting chemo in my body, I want to know that somebody's paid attention and got it exactly right. Why would we be any less focused or serious about knowing the truth of who Jesus Christ really is? Jesus is not who we culturally created him to be. He is who he declared himself to be. And I want us to take a look at four simple statements today and allow them to penetrate our hearts. If you don't know him, I pray that you'll be introduced to him through this. If you do know him, I pray that you'll understand him even more closely. There's a woman, a Jewish historian, her name is Lois Teleberry. And she wrote a book called In the Dust of the Rabbi. And what this book is about is she, it, she took out of the Jewish tradition or the historical tradition that whenever, so, rabbi means literally translated teacher. So if someone was a rabbi, they were considered a master teacher and a student or a disciple would be someone who went to maybe study underneath that teacher. And the, the phrase was coined that if you were a good disciple, You walked so closely behind your teacher that as he talked, as he thought, as he reacted, as he acted, everything he did in life, you were just so much there, it would just, the dust of the rabbi would come off upon you. And what I want to ask us today is, probably, don't do this, but if I were to say, how many of you love Jesus I would dare say 99% of us in this room would throw our hands up really high. I love Jesus. But what I want to ask you today is, are you dusty? Is the dust of the rabbi on you because you're walking so closely behind him that what he says and what he thinks and what he teaches and what his responses, his treatment of people, his attitude, his spirit... Everything about him is so close to you that it permeates on you and you become like your rabbi, your teacher. Four statements. The first one simply leaps off the pages of scripture for me. When I look at who the person Jesus really is in the Bible and I began to study it uh, years ago from this vantage point of not what I necessarily been taught or what churches or denominations or different people would say about him, what other cultures or religions, uh, but who Jesus really was. The first thing that, that just leaps at me is Jesus offered to us good news, not bad vibes. 
the message, the heart of who Jesus is, his manifesto, his purpose in coming, the very thing that Jesus said he came to do for us was to bring us life. Now, I don't know if that resonates with you or not today, but that is good news. Listen to what heaven said to us when Jesus came into this world. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it says, the angels resounded, don't be afraid, I bring you good news today of great joy to everyone. This is, this is celebration. It's party time. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus told them, go into the world and preach the good news to everyone everywhere. Now, you get fired up when you come to church? I hope so. Or is it just kind of like we got this in cruise control? You know, you set the button. It's Sunday. We go to church, do the deal, go to lunch. Everything's cool. The reality is what we are celebrating, folks, is a message of life, of health, and of hope. Let that sink in for a minute. How many of you think our world's messed up right now? Anybody? How many of you think we're in trouble as a nation? Anybody? Anybody think we need a message today of life in a culture that seems consumed by death? that needs hope in a world that seems so hopeless, where where people face incredible problems and they don't know where to turn. They're filled with despair and difficulty and pain and adversity and all of this, and they're just looking for somebody to give them some good news. Well, they can't turn on the TV and find it. Have you found any good news on the news lately? Everything they tell us is bad. In fact, I've I've got friends that say, I don't even watch the news anymore. It's depressing. All they tell us is bad stuff. They lead with the shootings and, you know, stuff like that. And then the robberies, and then they move on down the list. And you just kind of walk away needing a shower after watching the news. We live in a world of bad news. We live in a world of broken people. We live in a world of broken hearts. And in the, in the realm and context of that world, we have an offering of good news to bring to people. When you speak of Christ in your life, does it automatically bubble up from joy inside of you? Does it bring a pleasant smile to your face? Do you go, oh my goodness, I'm so glad we talked about this because if I got good news for you, Proverbs says, like a cup of cold water in a desert is a good word. I'm going to tell you, gang, you may be here and I'm talking to you today, but if not, I'll promise you this. You know people in your life right now that are desperate and discouraged and defeated and they need good news. And I'm a pastor of over 30 years, just like your pastor. I'm always telling our folks, Invite your friends to come to church. But let me tell you something. Good news is not inviting them to come to First Baptist Church. This is a great place to bring them. It's a a great place for them to enter. But the good news is not about coming to this church or any other church. The good news is that Jesus Christ has broken into this world to defeat the things that have come against us to destroy us. Listen to these verses. In the book of Galatians chapter 5. So Christ has really set us free. 
Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up into slavery again to the law. Christ has come to liberate. That's good news. That's better than any Hollywood movie, right? Somebody gets captured, Tom Cruise or whoever your Hollywood hero is, breaks through all the bad guys and everything, and just at the last moment when things are desperate, they get set free, and we walk out of the movie going, yes. That's all make-believe. The real good news is when Christ breaks into my life, your life, your family's life, your neighbor's life, and people who are held in chains of bondage, of selfishness and sin and self-destructive lifestyles and hopelessness, that he sets us free with the good news of the life-giving power, the indescribable hope, and the soul-depth healing of the message that I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Another verse that goes in keeping with that is John chapter 8 and verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There are a lot of people who claim to be followers of Christ, and I'm going to tell you straight up, they're not free today. Why? Because they've joined a church and they've become religious. They've cleaned up their act, but they've never met the Savior. Because see, I want to tell you something. When you meet the Savior, it's clear in Scripture. He sets you free. He breaks the chains. You walk in joy. You walk in liberty. You walk in peace. That, folks, is good news. And in a world that's desperate and dark today, we need some good news. We need to stop being the last place that the world says they would look to for joy and hope. A lot of us have come to church. I, like I said, I went nine months before I was brought into this world to church. I love the church. I love church people. I love being around the church. The church does phenomenal work. It is God's bride. It is his hope and the institution of this world that he's chosen to use as his method of reaching out to the lost. But somewhere along the way, we stop being dusty in some cases. And we got more concerned about being right and winning an argument than we do winning lost people back to Jesus. Jesus was about good news. I want to encourage you to walk out of here today. If you know him in your life with a smile on your face and the hope in your heart to share that with people who desperately need to hear it. Number two, when we walk closely in the shadows of Jesus and we become dusty by following him as our teacher. Jesus showed compassion, not condemnation. Jesus didn't fit in with the religious crowd, to be honest with you. In fact, he saved his anger for the religious leaders. Why? Because they were putting people into bondage. They were enslaving people with hundreds of laws and legalism. And Jesus came to set them free. He didn't come to convince people of their sin. You know why? Most of us already know that. Most of us already know that we have sin in our lives. What he came to do is to bring a remedy for our sin. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, he says, He had compassion 
over them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost and wandering aimlessly. And if we can ever pull back from our busy lives long enough to look around our communities and to drive up and down our streets, not just to get from point A to point B, but to see the neighborhoods around us and to see our city and those kinds of things, it will shock you. And I pray it will shock you to the point that you will not only become like Christ in your actions, but in your spirit that you have compassion for people, for broken people. For lost people. I'm, I'm just going to say this. It doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican. Whether you're a man or woman, black or white, Asian, whatever. All the things that we use to divide us. I'm going to tell you something. Whoever you are, when Christ's eyes fall on you, he falls on you with compassion. He sees your pain. He knows your brokenness. He knows your fears, your hurts. Truth is, some of us may have walked in this room a minute ago and we're smiling and saying hi to all our friends, but deep down in here, we're struggling. And I want to tell you that Jesus sees you with compassion, not condemnation for the failures of your life. He came not to rub that in, but to rub it out. In Luke 19, 41, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Too often we've been loud and angry with sinful people standing up and telling them how wrong they were. Jesus was loud and angry with self-righteous, judgmental, condemning spiritual leaders. You put a broken, sinful person in front of Christ and every single time he would lift their burden from them. Whether it was a corrupt tax collector that had cheated people out of their earnings and was resented and hated by the people and he would say, come and follow me and change their life. Or a rugged fisherman who probably had salty language as salty as the waters that they fished from And he would say, come and I will make you fishers of men, not fishers of fish. Of a woman that had been married five times and was now living with a sixth man that was not her husband, he taught her how to get a drink of living water. As I'm going to share with you in just a moment, a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery that was not, it was not about the importance of settling the issue, but a pawn in the greater political scheme of this, these Pharisees threw her in the street like a dirty rag and were ready to take her life to make a point. And Jesus lifted her up to become a clean woman. Jesus has compassion, not condemnation. Can I ask you to prayerfully think about something? We get so conditioned from our political leanings or our educational backgrounds or all these different kinds of things, our sociological influences, upbringing, and all that kind of stuff that we begin to label other groups and call other people different types of names and things like that. And I want to tell you something. That's not being dusty. There were Samaritans that the Jews had nothing to do with. And Jesus saw value in their souls. 
He used the illustration of the Good Samaritan that saw the man lying on the side of the road, beaten and bleeding to death. And two spiritual leaders walked right on past, too messy to get involved with, too busy to be involved, for whatever reasons, didn't want to defile themselves from the religious law. And here comes a lowly Samaritan who picks this man up, nurses him back to health, takes him to a hospice, and pays for his medical expenses. You tell me which one was his neighbor, Jesus says. Jesus was a man of great compassion. When God began to move me of this, I began to see my city in a different way. You see, when you stop just seeing the physical sights and sounds and restaurants and all of that, and you begin to see your city through spiritual eyes, God will put it on your heart. He will put a burden there for people that are blind and like sheep without a shepherd. And then he's infused you with good news to take to them that can transform their life, that can lift their burdens, that can heal their hurts, that brings life into their death. What an awesome combination. That leads very closely to the third thing that I want to share with you. Jesus viewed, or excuse, excuse me, Jesus was viewed as a friend and not a Pharisee. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 18 and 19. John the Baptist did not drink wine, and he fasted religiously often. And you said he has a demon that possesses him. I, the son of man, Jesus, feast and drink. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of the worst sorts of sinners. But wisdom is seen in such. I think the thing that moves me the most in my pursuits of trying to be a Christ follower, of trying to be so close to my rabbi that the dust of his trail covers me, is not the way that I treat people who come and share my values and smile at me on a Sunday morning and tell me how you know, good it is to be at church together, but how do I treat people who don't share my worldview, who don't share my faith in my Lord and my Savior, who may be on the other side of the aisle politically, religiously, socioeconomically, all different kinds of barriers again that divide us. Well, they had very neat order and structure in this time. The Pharisees had done a fabulous job of instituting the over 600 uh, Levitical laws over the people and they ruled with a rod of iron. And so the outsiders were always the outsiders. They didn't ever measure up. They couldn't get in. They were unclean, so to speak. And here comes Jesus and blows it up and turns it on his ears because Christ, you ready for this? Christ had a reputation of hanging out with the wrong crowd. <laughs> Truth is, if Jesus walked into a lot of our churches, we wouldn't know what to do with him. Because he doesn't fit into our mold. And I'm telling you this. Jesus loved people that were distant from God. 
how can we ever reach people if we don't know them? How can we ever connect with those people if we're not willing to love them? And how can we communicate at a deep level with them if we're not willing to go to them? Now again, I'm three decades a pastor. I'm all for, and I know your pastor's all for you, inviting your friends to come to church because they may hear about Christ here. But Jesus taught us to go and tell. This is like a strength rally where we get our batteries charged and then we go into classrooms, we go into office suites, we go into workplaces, neighborhoods, and every one of us is commissioned by Christ to go and find people that Jesus loves and cares deeply about. <laughs> we, we've laughed several times about, you know, we do these kind of meetings where we have several days and invite people to come to church. And for years, pastors would say, go and get all your friends that are far from God and have them come with you. And they'd say, pastor, we don't have any friends that are far from God. You told us to get away from all those kind of people. Go be with them. I've called you not to be of this world, but to be in the world. We don't have to go act like them or do the same things, but how can we build a bridge if we're not willing to cross it? Jesus loved broken people, and he was willing to run the risk that people didn't like it are they labeled it? Are they called him all sorts of ugly, demeaning, derogatory things because he cared more about God's work and his kingdom than he did keeping all the rules? I'm not saying rules aren't important. I'm not saying the law is not important. He, didn't, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And the way that he fulfilled it is to show the power and the love of God to help us fulfill that which we cannot. So... Uh, Number four, Jesus loved people from where they were to where they needed to be. In John chapter 8, again, the story I mentioned a moment ago. Teacher, they said, Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The, mo- the law of Moses is clear. Stone her. What do you say? They're trying to trap him into saying something that they could ultimately use against him. But Jesus stood up and again said, all right, then stone her. But let those who have never sinned throw the very first stone. He stooped down again and began to write in the dust. When the accusers heard this, one by one, they began to fall away from the oldest to the youngest. Until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman by himself and stood her up again. And he said, where are your accusers? Didn't I condemn them? Didn't even one of them continue? No, Lord, she said. And then he said this, then neither do I. Neither do I go and sin no more. Jesus moved people from where they were to where they needed to be. And he didn't use condemnation and judgment to do so. He used love to motivate people and win them to the good news of the heart of the Father. I love this story. It's one of my favorites in the Bible because it is the, it is the condition of mankind. Here's a group of Pharisees, black robed that are respected and admired 
uh, by people because of their standing and their positions. And they bring this woman that means absolutely nothing to them. As I said a moment ago, she's simply a pawn in this equation. They're simply using her in a political struggle to destroy Jesus. And so powerfully, Jesus turns this story. I love it when he says, stone them, but stone her, but you without sin throw the first one. We don't know what because the scripture doesn't tell us, but that moment when it says that Jesus knelt down and he began to, to uh, write in the sand, we don't know what he wrote, but you know what? In my imagination, I believe he wrote some names. He wrote some dollar figures. He wrote some things that the people that were standing around began to see, and quietly they began to slip away. How did he know? How did anybody know? You see, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says, there's not a person among us that has the right or the position to judge another person. Only God can do that. And so he takes this woman who is literally guilty as sin and he picks her up and he makes her whole. He doesn't say, ah, it's no big deal. He says, go and discover life. Go and find healing. Go and discover hope for your life. I imagine that was the definitive turning point in that woman's life, that she never looked back to that old life again because she'd found something good. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is Jesus brought hope and healing to people never harm. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's appointed me to preach good news. And I love this phrase. He sent me to proclaim the captives that they may be released. I asked the first crowd, how many of you believe that God can still set people free from addictions in their life? How many of you still believe that God can break the chains of some stronghold of sin in your life that everybody else says, you're that for the rest of your life. You're labeled this, that, or the other. And yet when you have an encounter with Christ in your life, he can change you forever. He has come to set the captives free. He's allowed the blind so that they will see. And the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors. Before a doctor, before he or she is allowed to practice medicine after they've passed their boards and um, become qualified and certified to be a physician, they take what's called the Hippocratic Oath. They pledge that they will never use medicine to do harm to a single one of their patients. It goes back to Greek times. I pledge to never do harm. As important and valuable as that is, how much more so that we as followers of Christ would take a commitment to say, I will never do harm in the name of Christ to someone else. I will come to pronounce liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, and freedom to the oppressed. That's the mission. That's the message of Christ. How dusty are you this morning? Is that the Jesus you know? Is that the Jesus that you follow? I hope so. I pray it is. I pray that if you're following him, Today, there'll be a passion in your heart to even follow him more closely.
I also would invite you to this. That as I've talked this morning, you've realized maybe you've gone to church before. You've heard the message of Christ of freedom and forgiveness of your sin before, but you've never personally received that. Today could be that day. When I was nine years old, I fell on my face in the middle of my bed and as well as I could understand it, at nine years of age, I said, God, if you will forgive me for the sin of my life and give me eternal life, then I will spend my life loving and serving you. Some days I get that right, some days I don't. In all cases, God's grace walks with me. But you know what I discovered? Even though I had parents that loved God and had faith in their life, I had to do that for myself. Never dawn on you, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. Your mother's faith, your father's faith, your grandfather's faith will not be your faith. You have to personally come to Christ to receive that. You have the opportunity to do that today. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing and your pastors are going to be here at the front and you're going to have an opportunity to respond. I'm going to invite you to come, whether it's to meet this Christ for the first time in your life, to hear this good news that's been offered to you today, to find freedom and forgiveness, to be free from your self-condemnation judgment for mistakes you've made in the past, to walk out of this room clean today. Or whether it's someone who's walked with Christ for decades to say, I want to be more like my Jesus. We simply need to respond. Father, thank you for sending Christ into this world. We deserved to be abandoned and the judgment that was to fall our way. And yet, you sent a Redeemer. You sent a Savior. You sent us the good news that there is hope of salvation and forgiveness of our sin. And no matter what any one of us in this room have ever been guilty of, no matter what we've done, the blood of Jesus Christ is greater than any sin. The forgiveness of Christ is greater than any condemnation. I pray for liberty in this room right now. I pray for those of us who maybe through good intentions have gotten in the bondage of keeping religious rules in our lives rather than the fruit of the relationship with a dynamic Savior. Help us today to get dusty in our lives again, to move in close to you. And I offer this prayer in Christ's name. Now let's stand together. And as your pastors are here to receive you, you come. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin?